on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. Think about Southwest Airlines. They fly one airplane, the, the flight attendants and the pilots clean the plane when they're done. They pick only the routes that are very lucrative. You pick your own seat. Their product is dialed right into their core and they're one of the most profitable airlines year over year. Yeah. Chick-fil-A, they only do chicken. I mean, the best companies, Apple from a phone to a Macintosh computer, same very basic operating system. Right. It's the core and strengthening your core is what really helps you to grow. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. What's up, everybody? I'm Chaz Wolf, Gathering the Kings podcast. I'm your host. Today, I've got Kerry Baskins on the King stage. Good morning, Kerry. How are you? Hey, good morning. Thanks for you having me. Of course. I'm, I'm excited. We, you already got my blood pumping because for the last you know 10 or 15 minutes, we've been talking about elk hunting, and you just had an extreme first trip where you got injured and stuff. Maybe we'll get into that here in a little bit, but man, elk hunting is close to my heart, and I'm already fired up, ready to go. Tell us what kind of business that you have, Kerry. Well, Peak Toolworks is the North America leader in engineered tooling, very much for the secondary wood industry. So wood floors, doors, windows, window panes or panels industry. We, our tools cut hot tubs, if you will. I mean, we do, I don't know, 10 to 12% in aerospace and metal. So it's, it's carbide and diamond tooling, saw blades, router bits, hoggers, but really just precision cutting tools. So we have three parts to our business. So we manufacture new tools, um, we resale tools, and then we've got the largest service organization around North America. So we've got vans that pick up and deliver every day and bring back to our service centers around North America. Wow. Yeah. Obviously you have a a huge reach and, and you're providing some of the things that maybe the listener has has heard of or thought of, maybe they haven't because you're kind of in the behind the scenes type of a business. You're making other industries go. So this this should be a very fun conversation. Before we get into the like details of your story and all that fun stuff, I want to know what's your purpose? What's your why? What makes you go? You had mentioned earlier that you're coming up on, I think on 60. Is that what you said? I am. Yep. I'm, I'm 59 and a half. So what, like, what makes you go at this stage? You're, you're successful. You got this huge business. What, what makes you go at this point? Well, look, um, somebody once told me, or we had a conversation about how you're going to measure success someday, right? Yeah. And a lot of us will sit here and say, well, if I achieve this level in my career, or if I get this amount of net worth, yeah. from the time I became a leader, quite honestly, I always thought about the last day, and I wondered who'd show up for my retirement party. Yeah. And I think from a leadership standpoint, that's going to be the real measure for me and anybody who's worked with me, anybody in my organization today or, or organizations, you know, from the past, they know I'm people oriented. 
they know that one of my most important metrics is how you feel Sunday night before you come to work. And so what drives me to this day is how do people feel when they come in that door? And then how does that actually translate from people coming in the door to net promoter score with customers? Because they translate directly. So it's yeah. really all about the people. It drives me every day. Yeah, I want to I want to just spend just a, a half minute here because we, we talk about people, we talk about leadership. But what you just said, obviously, is, is an equation that some of the listeners might know, maybe not, though. In essence, <clears throat> you're pouring into your people. And if they're proper or if they're if they're excited to come in on Monday, then that net promoter score that you just mentioned really is the customer experience. At the end result, they're happy because your people are happy. Did you always have this thought, this feeling, or did, did that grow over time? Did you used to think it was about net worth, like you just said, or other factors or KPIs, and it grew into people, or have you always been kind of people-oriented? I think I've always been people-oriented, but I, I was sort of came up through my career understanding that you, you earn your following, right? Sure. Um, so all of us are a product of the type of mentors and the type of leaders that we have, from our football coaches, you know, our teachers, all the way through. Right. And so like for me, I've had my my share of examples of, of people who were rough leaders and others that I really wanted to follow. And what my leadership coach who's been with me for 20 years, or I should say I've been with her for 20 years. Right. She told me early on, you know, there's there's a couple extremes to, to leadership. You've got Jesus or Gandhi or whoever you want to put on one side and you've got Satan or Hitler on the other side. Right. Yeah. Both can earn a following. They can earn right. it. They can get a following. One's sustainable and one's not. Yeah. And so, you know, sort of like Colin said in, in Good to Great, strength and warmth. What my team has said for years is leaders need to be competent and kind. And I followed that my entire life in order to, to get that healthy following. Yeah, I, I love I love that competent and kind DNA. I think that you're right, that we can be strong without having to be arrogant. We can be decisive without having to be rude. You know, all these, the, the, we can go back and forth on the, the goods and the bads with leadership. So hopefully we get into some of this a little bit more in your story, but tell us how you came into this business or was entrepreneurialism in your story before this business? Tell, tell us about the beginning. I'm pretty unlikely. So, you know, as, as a CEO, if you sort of you go back in my career, I paid for all my college myself, okay. grew up in a small town, Columbus Junction, Iowa, got out of college with a pile of debt and had to have a plan. And so I went in the military, okay. deferred my the, the interest on my student loans, and then put money aside, got out and paid all my student loans in a few years. But I started out in customer service on, the, on a sales desk. Okay. And sort of worked worked my way up into this. Um, somebody once said about me, they said, you know, you're a really good milkman, but you always wonder what it would be like to run the dairy. <laughs> and so that was that was sort of me. I got promoted very quickly and became a young leader and just kind of worked my way up. And then I don't know, about 10 years ago, I almost accidentally became a president in a private equity environment. And that really sort of supercharged my energy and my kind of business career because I yeah. love the fact that in private equity, there's a shelf life. Yeah. You could go from having a business that's in real trouble to yeah. having to sell it for three to five to 10 times you know, its right. value in only three to five years. 
And that just really appealed to, to the pace I like to work and the kind of people I like to surround myself with. Yeah. And that's where I am today. So that led you into looking for this opportunity or tell us how, how that, how did that bridge the gap from, from private equity to, to where you are now? Well, so I've been in private equity 10 years and um, with the job that I, that I'm in now, I had worked for a belting company out of Skokie, Illinois. Actually, prior to that, I was in the, the pump industry for 22 some years. Wow. And out of the blue, a recruiter called one day and asked me about a conveyor belt company in Skokie, Illinois, that was actually in a bit of trouble. Okay. You know, revenue was okay, but it wasn't translating to any bottom line profit whatsoever. Employee motivation score was somewhere around 20%. Yeah. Wow. Love and the question was, if you, if you ran this business, what would you do in the first 90 days? And I think it was that conversation that got me the job. And we sold it three, three years later for a tremendous valuation, had a, a fantastic leadership team there. And then and when we sold the company, we had two CEOs that were in North America, another person, we had just done an acquisition. And almost exactly when we sold the business, another private equity firm called and said, we have a business in Jasper, Indiana, and it's coming up on 80 years old. Um, it, it needs to get to the next level. It's got some struggles. We need a new leadership team. Are you interested? And here we are. Absolutely. That's awesome. Yeah. So <clears throat> a little bit, a little bit different than maybe the listener, you know, who, who uh, decided to start their own business from a, from the scratch, if you will. But I still think that obviously what they can learn from you are the skill sets of turning around this ginormous business are going to be very, very similar to what they need to do to build up something. Or even if they purchased a business, that's fine. I mean, obviously there's plenty of listeners that in that scenario as well. I want to know because your, your history is just at a, at a, at a different level, I would say than probably most of the listeners, I want to try to take your experience and delineate it down to something that they can, you know, applicably do today in their business. So my first question to you, which is same as for every guest, I want to know of a good decision that you've made in business that can translate to the listener here today, where you would do this, this decision over and over and over again, they can go replicate it today, right now in their business, they can take a quick note and go do it. What would that be? So this will be interesting, because I would say the vast majority of your listeners haven't heard of this. Okay, Okay, they've heard of the Pareto principle, they've heard of 80-20. 80% of your revenue comes from 20% of your customers and products, right? Right. If you look back at what Illinois Toolworks did, you know, back in the 90s, how they applied the 80-20 rule to an actual business process. Okay. And what it did is it helped them identify their core. And it not only helped them identify where they made money, but it really helped them understand where they lost money. Okay. And inside yeah. of this process is what's called the, the, the quad, if you will. All right. So if you picture four blocks, upper left-hand corner is your top customers buying your best-selling products. Okay. To the right is your best customers buying non-standards. Yeah. Lower left is smaller customers buying standards. And lower right is small customers buying non-standards. Okay. Mathematically, any business just like the Pareto principle always shakes out this way, you're going to find that in that upper left-hand corner, it's somewhere around 64%. In the right, 16, lower left is 16, and to the right is 4%. Okay. But you spread your costs usually across your business, which means you make all your money in your core, 
Yeah. And you spend all your money chasing non-standard products, small customers, or unprofitable customers. Sure. That in and of itself has been literally the foundation of the success that I've had, at least in private equity, of taking a business from where it is when you start yeah. to the highest valuation possible. Because if you squeeze out every dollar profit in your core, and then you very carefully pick where you're going to play from there and apply cost incrementally only to what gets you that profit, Yeah, you'll realize more profitability, higher satisfaction with employees, and a stronger net promoter score every single time. Yeah. Yeah. To kind of <clears throat> give this some additional language, because I think you're right. A lot of times how people say it is like you have to niche or you you only do what you're good at, or <clears throat> there's lots of different ways to say this, but in essence, there's lots of ways to make money. <laughs> but I, if you, if you can, if you only could do the way this one specific way, not only because you're the best at it, let's say, or that's the best product, like you said, the matrix of the best customer and the best product together, highest margin, easiest customer in essence, it makes them happy because they really want it because it's really for them. It makes you happy because there's margin. It makes your team happy because it's easy to service that type of a client. It makes them happy. The team is happy that they're happy. Like everybody, it just works. And so why do you think, so my follow-up question to this, why do you think that we fall every single time, it seems like, to trying to find the either not right customer or the not right product, and maybe sometimes even trying to combine those things together in that bottom, bottom opposite corner? Why do you think that we do that? Yeah, well, look, I mean, the 80-20 the, the gurus, like there's there's a consulting firm, Strategex, that I have worked with exclusively through my career. These are experts. These are ex-ITW executives or they're executives that have worked in this, you know, 80-20 successfully, you know, over and over and over. And they use a lot of examples to try to translate into the business world of what we do at home. For instance, if you're a golfer, um, the majority of golfers statistically cannot hit a driver. They can't hit it <laughs> yeah. straight, right? Right. And, and, and the folks that make drivers are trying harder and harder to make the head bigger to make it foolproof, right? Right. But if you really think about it, you want a low score. If you look at every golf course statistically in the United States, you can typically shoot par on every course and you never have to hit that ball more than 150 yards. Right. Because as, as long as you learn how to chip and putt, well, you can get your score down. But what do most people do? They get up there with their driver and their three wood and they spray it all over the place, right? Right, right. So the, that's kind of, if you translate some of that towards business, we don't put the depth of thought into where we're spending money, right. where we're trying to apply the business. And it's almost like we'll say, we're gonna launch this new product and we're gonna hope this thing really gets traction. But we don't yeah. set inflection points to say, what if I spend a million dollars on it and it's a dud? Do I spend two, three, four million until it's such a dud that I really regret it? Or do I set inflection points to say, at this point, it's dead, right? Right. And so it's really, you know, it's about the discipline and saying and, and, and understanding this is my core business. Yeah. Like I make saw blades. If I start making Zamboni blades, it makes no sense whatsoever. It's not my core competency. Even if that market's big and it's a sharp blade, right. I got to stay with my core and I got to pick what is incrementally realistic. 
right. from there. Yeah, <clears throat> to that, you just made such a great point. That that other blade that you just mentioned, I think most people here today would go, well, they're both blades. You're in the same industry. Right. How do you delineate? How do you, how do you say, no, that's not our core. It's, it, uh, you, I guess the answer really is you, you dial down past blade, but give us a little bit of your language on that. Like, how do you know so clearly that that type of blade, no? Yep, let's go back to the core right? So we know 80% of my revenue comes from 20% of my products. And it's in that quad one and quad three that I just explained, yep. right? And so you know that on, that on that left side are the products that my customers want to buy. It's where I make my money. It's what I can easily run through my plants. Yep. I need to be really good at that core. In yep. fact, those products theoretically should be getting out that door 98 to 100% of the time, right on time, perfect quality, because I should be able to make my core really well. And right. I haven't earned the right to grow into new products till I do that core really, really well. Right. Yep. And so for us, and for any business that I've applied 80-20, we know that that core is what we make. And then if we have an idea to do something else, like an XYZ blade, is my, are my core customers going to want that? Does that get me more share of wallet? Or do I have a strategy around my core competency where I can apply this, say, to a new market, like for us, metals? Right. Same kind of tools, different kind of material, but we know how to do it. Where in metal are we going to go? Where can we win? And we very specifically and very disciplined pick the next battle. We call it yeah. the growth overlay. Yeah. For instance, if you're a, if you're a $50 million business, where's your next $5 million going to come from? Right. And why are you going to win? Why do you know you're going to get that? Yeah. Yeah. And I guess you would apply the same, <clears throat> like, once you've developed the core and you want to go to the next business or, or next product, then you're going to take a look at the same same metrics there, but in its own in its own category and be able to delineate down. First off, does it work? And if it doesn't, then you get rid of it, <laughs> to your right. point earlier. But if it does, then you then you then you're shifting around the same way and, and getting rid of maybe the things that uh, maybe aren't the core, even in that little section. Yep. The I guess the listener right now, you know, running a six hundred thousand dollar business, or maybe they're a multimillionaire. I don't know. Does this work for any business? Should they should they stop the podcast right now and go? I should pay attention to eighty percent of where my revenue is coming from because it's probably twenty percent of these types of clients. It's this type of project that I'm doing or this type of marketing service or whatever. And I should just cut away the rest until I get to five or 10 or 50 or a hundred million. Is that, is that in essence what you're saying? Well, let's put it this way. 80-20 as a business process isn't a cutting process. 80-20 is a growth process. Okay. And so they need to understand their core. If a business owner is listening to this right now, and they can't specifically say mathematically, what's my core? Yeah. Then they need to understand that piece, okay? I'll also challenge them that probably 50% of their cost is not going into their core customers or their core products. Okay. So let's just think about this for a second. Yeah. That quad four that I described, right? 4% of your business is non-standard small customers. But I'll bet you if you look at it, you're spending 25% of your cost to, to keep that alive. Yeah. Would you have a $4 million business with $25 million cost and try to keep that thing? 
Yeah, no. Or, when, you know, you wouldn't. I mean, you just, you, the point is, if you take the cost that goes into quad four and you reapply it to overserve quad one and right. overserve your customers that buy your core, you can grow your share of wallet spectacularly. Here's a great example. Think about Southwest Airlines. They fly one airplane. The, the flight attendants and the pilots clean the plane when they're done. They pick only the routes that are very lucrative. You pick your own seat. Their product is dialed right into their core, and they're one of the most profitable airlines year over year. Yeah. Chick-fil-A, they only do chicken. Keep, I mean, the best companies, Apple, from a phone to a Macintosh computer, same very basic operating system. Right. It's the core and strengthening your core is what really helps you to grow. Yeah, I love that. Okay, let's flip the coin. Jerry, I want to know maybe of a bad choice or maybe a bad decision that you've seen over the years that we can learn from and stay away from. Well, this this one's probably going to throw you a bit of a curveball because I thought about a bad decision in my in my career that I think would translate to especially young leaders that are coming up. I was very blessed in, in getting promoted fairly quickly in my career. And so I became a young leader of people and started to grow a lot of responsibility many years ago. And at one point, I was proudly sitting on top of many departments. Um, I had quite a few people reporting to me a lot of dollar responsibility, right? Those things that, that leaders go home at night and feel good about themselves. Sure. And out of the blue, my boss came and told me two things. He said, one, we're sending you to a leadership growth opportunity called Center for Creative Leadership in Colorado. And number two, I'm going to change your job into something else. He goes, we're going to get into this new water treatment business and I want you to run it. And it basically had no sales, no people, nothing. And my young, immature response to that was, I've just been robbed, right? right? And then I went off to Center of Creative Leadership and spectacular course, like a week of growing up is what it was. Yeah. And I told that story uh, to my class and I'm not going to name this person, but he was the CEO of a major aerospace co company in the United States. And he pulled me aside and he goes, I want to tell you something. He goes, when you got here, all I could think about was a way to get you into my business someday. When you told that story, it changed my mind 100%. And he goes, you want to know why? And I was like, why is that? He goes, your boss didn't, didn't do, do you a disservice. He paid you the biggest compliment ever. They just took the one brand new entrepreneurial growth business that they had and they gave it to you as a zero and said, that's the guy that's going to make this thing golden. Yeah. And you walked away with a chip on your shoulder. And I tell you what, Chaz, I, have, I never grew up more than I did in that exact moment. Yeah. And from that point on, I never for, I, I remembered something my grandma told me years ago. She said, someday when you grow up, somebody's going to ask you to dig a ditch. And she goes, don't complain, just be damn good at it. Good. And so this was, I don't know, this was 15 years ago this happened. I have never worried about my circumstances. I have applied this with young leaders ever since. And the harder the, the journey gets, the more I lean into it. But it was fantastic learning experience. Yeah, it's incredible because as soon as you said <clears throat> that little scenario of what they were given to you, in my mind, I'm thinking, oh man, what an opportunity. And it's yeah. just funny how, you know, we, we think about that now maybe because of our experiences, but 
for the young leader or the young entrepreneur listening right now, they're, they're creating these or going through these ditch digging opportunities. And it doesn't feel so good at first because our ego's involved. Totally. You know, you know, maybe it's not the sexiest opportunity, at least from the outside, you know, it was water treatment and no people. And I went from all this money responsibility to nothing, you know, it, it, we, we build this up in our own selves, really, you know, we do, we start to believe our, our own BS for lack of a better, better term, right. we get caught up in our own brand and we start thinking that, that it's because of us that, that we're doing this. But you know what I missed in that as well? I took that job. And, and one of the things I started to learn is I started picking leaders that were young leaders who wanted to be a part of that. And the training ground it was for them was spectacular. One of those young leaders is running a major pump company today. He was an engineer in the back room. He's now a president. Actually, he's a group vice president with several companies reporting to him. And it happened in, in that little Petri dish of that little water treatment. What a wake up call. And what a just, it was such a, a gift of, of just learning, you know? Yeah. And I think, I think that even for the entrepreneur listening right now, it, that little Petri dish of learning that you just talked about, that could be their business right now. Yeah. And maybe, maybe it's this business that grows or maybe they switch lanes and they do something different. But the reality is, is that right now, the, the current circumstances is the Petri dish, right? Correct. Right. Whether we're being, being dealt a uh, struggle or victory or a little bit of both. I think that, you know, the learning comes in, in both of those opportunities. I just appreciate your perspective, not only on what, what you did and what you thought, but then looking back and knowing how much it grew you. I think that's probably obviously the, the largest thing that we can do with failures is, is to be able to look back and see how they've grown us. Carrie, what, what like process or maybe decision-making steps do you have now, or do you teach in inside your business now to young leaders, business owners listening right now, wondering to know how to make good decisions. What would you tell that person? Well, you know how I, I talked about 80, 20, yeah. what the real core of that is. It's, it's all about complexity reduction. Yeah. And because okay. I live in this private equity world where we have a shelf life of, you know, we have to sort of define our success in this three to five year time frame. Yeah. I learned how to start with the end in mind. And so what, what we do like in private equity is we say, okay, so five years from now, we have to sell this business and we're going to be standing in a room of investment bankers and potential buyers. And we have to talk about why this business is worth so much. Yeah. What needs to be true on that day? And then as we walk through the fundamental you know, areas like human resources, engineering, operations, finance, et cetera, what needs to right. be true and what does good look like? Yeah. Then we talk about the reality that we're in today and what is that gap analysis and how do we solve for unknowns? Right. One of the, I think, most interesting things I've learned in this private equity experience is that we don't have time to experiment. We don't have time to fool around. And what works every time is the application of fundamentals and the reduction and elimination of the complexity that gets in your way to execute on fundamentals. Sure. And so we say on day one, we earn the right to grow. So in our factories, we do safety, quality, delivery, inventory, productivity called SQDIP. It's a lean practice. But if we wake up in the morning and we have a daily meeting, which we do every morning in every single facility in my company, and we talk about safety and safety is off and people got hurt, we don't get to talk about delivery or, or, or quality. We don't get to talk right. about it, Right. And then if, if safety is great, we get to quality and we're having a lot of returns. 
we're going to stop talking right there. We're going to fix quality. So it's just the fundamental, you know, execution of, of those things, human resources. If we don't have people coming to work, feeling great about being there in, in the employee motivation survey score, we have to understand why. And so for, for us, it's what do we want to look like in three to five years? Where are we now? How do we, what does fundamental execution look like? And what is the complexity that we have to take out in order for us to execute easily on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, so good. You gave, I mean, they should just hit the pause button. I'm going to encourage you right now to go back and listen to that probably at least seven more times. I just think that even in your answer, obviously you're very, very smart. And so you're giving what seems like complex answers, but you're actually, you're dumbing it down, which is fantastic. I think that every entrepreneur, we like things simple but we have this innate ability to complicate things. And partially just because we don't, we don't know, or like you're saying, we just haven't spent the time thinking about it or, or really putting time and effort into where we should be, be placing our effort. I want to switch over to our speed round real quick. In the speed yep. round, this is going to be an interesting question for you being so many different uh, KPIs in such a large company. But if you could only pick one trackable metric, what would that be? That's a really hard question, Chaz, but my one metric is going to be employee motivation survey. If people okay. can't, if you can't get your people engaged in the mission and understanding it and how okay. things, you know, what's expected, you'll never even get to net promoter score. Yeah. Yeah. And, and both of those obviously tie into having a business net profit, you know, like being able to sell in three to five years. <laughs> if your people hate coming to work, you're not going to make money. Yeah. It's so good. How, what would you, what was a quick, Thing. Do you guys use a specific survey? What what can they go download? Is there a book they can read on this on this score that you just talked about? How can they how can they implement this into their small business? So there, there's a lot of of different kinds of surveys out there, but if you like look at some of the HR associations that are out there, national standards around what are those core questions that really go into employee net promoter score as well as the the motivation survey. But what you're really looking for is do people come to work engaged? disengaged or somewhere in the middle. Yeah, good. And then it'll give you some national standards in your industry. Yeah, no, I love that, especially if it's broken down because we've got listeners from from lots of different places. Yeah. What what about a resource or a book that you'd recommend for a small business owner wanting to grow their business? Well, mine when it comes out hopefully in the next 12 months. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> I'm working, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I've been working on a book now called The Transformational Toolbox. Um, and I work on it a bit on the weekends and in, in, in the evenings, but it's really to tie everything that I'm saying now together in this sort of front to back fundamental application of 80-20 and, and fundamentals across the business yeah. to turn it around sort of the private equity way. But frankly, if, if and this is a book I keep on my desk, if you haven't heard of it, YI, okay. it's, it's actually, it's called For Your Improvement, it's put out by Corn Ferry. Okay. If you're a leader and you you get into this book, you'll see what I mean as soon as you open this up. Every mistake you've ever made as a leader, any mistake your people have made, that book will give you a fundamental guide on why you do it, why others do it, and how you can turn things around. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that's, that's the most powerful book. And I hand it to every leader of every company as soon as I join that business. Yeah, I was going to say that that's that's quite the promotion of a book. I think we'd all be silly not to order it right now. So we'll we'll make sure that we drop the drop the link in the show notes for people to be able to order it ASAP. I'm sure my editor will hit the order button for me as well. She does that for me often when I say, "Hey, make sure we get this one." That's great. <laughs> okay, so what do you think about intentionally networking or masterminding with other entrepreneurs? 
Yeah. So I'm a pretty voracious networker. I'm, I'm a relationship guy. I came up through sales. And so I'm, I'm very people oriented, as you can probably tell. So I think it's the most important thing that you do. It's, wow. you know, surround yourself with people, especially the people in your network that very honestly help you along the way, find ways also to, to serve them back. My network is probably the whole reason I've been successful. People have got to know me. They've given me opportunities that I didn't deserve. And they backed me, you know, through those opportunities. And my blessings come from the people I've been surrounded with. And that's all there's to it. Yeah, that's so good. I got one last question here for you, Gary. Sure. I want to know if you had a chance to whisper in the younger Carrie's ear, what would you say? Well, the young Carrie was a whole different person than the older Carrie, right? Yeah. I would probably would have encouraged me to push as hard as I did. You know, I, I started out left, you know, came out of a very poor family. And my advice out of high school was, I don't think you're going to make it through college. You don't have the attention span. You don't have the money. And we have a great meatpacking plant right here in Columbus Junction. And you can go to work there. And I'm not slighting good friends of mine that actually stayed in town. But I always had a bigger dream than that. And so I would have whispered in my ear, push like you have been, never quit, but don't take yourself as seriously as you do. Mm. Yep. Because I think I put everything on myself and, and, you know, like the example I gave you, if I'd have been a little more mature at the time, I'd have high five my boss and said, thanks for this opportunity. Right. Right. So good. So good. Words of wisdom. We just appreciate you being here. Carrie, how can the listener find you, connect with you? Maybe they need to become a customer of you somehow. Where, where can they find you in your business? Well, first of all, I'm not a huge social media guy, but I am a, a LinkedIn guy. So you can find me on LinkedIn. My my work email, kbaskins at peaktoolworks.com. You can always track me down there as well. But I do respond to you know inquiries on, on LinkedIn. I get quite a few, but I do you know go through them. But yeah, check us out. Peaktoolworks.com is, you know, website for the company. We do actually do a a company podcast on a weekly basis. Wow. So I do a lot of podcasts for for our employees and our employees do podcasts. We circulate them around, but we put a number of those on the website as well. So you can actually get on there and, and hear what we're talking about as a business. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah. Obviously, if they're listening to this podcast, they obviously enjoy the form of, of education. So I think that that'd be fantastic. We'll put all that in the show notes as well. So that way they can easily find you and, and your podcast. I think that'd be pretty cool. Carrie, you've been a blessing to us here today. I, I personally, selfishly happy that I got to meet you and, uh, and I'll be continuing the relationship with you. But thank you for being here. Blessings on your family, your business, your teams all across the country. Thank you so much. Thank you, Chaz. Appreciate it. Thank you for listening to Gathering the Kings today. I hope that you were able to pull out a few nuggets to go apply into your business right away. More importantly, though, I hope that you're realizing that it takes more to be successful than just being by yourself, doing it all on your own, carrying the weight all by yourself. What I have realized, not only in my own journey from multiple businesses and multiple different industries and now interviewing literally over two or 300 other very successful seven, eight and nine figure business owners is that it's tough to do it alone. And so Gathering the Kings literally exists to Bring together successful entrepreneurs. In fact, we are putting together 1,000 kings, specifically who are grateful but not done. We're intentionally assembling kings who fight tooth and nail for their business, family, and communities. And here's what we believe, that in the pursuit of excellence in those areas, 
that it ignites within us the responsibility to govern power and forge a lasting legacy. So if that relates and, and resonates with you, and you know that you need people around you, sharp, qualified, other very successful business owners, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. I want you to take a look at what we're doing and see if it makes sense for you to be part of our pursuit to 1,000 Kings. Talk soon.